Hello and welcome to season two, episode two of Perspective. I am so excited for today's episode as I have a feeling I will be learning a lot about the world of blockchain. I'm going to be sitting down with Mitchell Morrison, the CEO and founder of Carbon Link Incorporated. To put it simply, this company is a B2B platform for purchasing, managing, and retiring on-chain carbon offsets. Their platform utilizes the benefits of Web3 without the hassle. Now, if you are anything like me, this whole world is a bit of a foreign language, so Mitchell is going to break it down for us and explain how he built this company from the ground up. With that being said, let's see what Mitchell's perspective really is. Okay, Mitchell, thanks for coming on the podcast this early Friday morning. <laughs> uh, thank you for having me. All right, so just to jump right in, I think that some context would be helpful. So if you could just give the listeners a little bit of background information on yourself and maybe like how you got interested in tech and Web3. Yeah, um, so my name is Mitchell. I'm originally from Franklin, Tennessee. It's a small town right outside of Nashville currently a junior at USC uh, studying business and blockchain. I haven't been very studious recently. Um, but I would say uh, didn't really actually get into tech until about a year ago when I got into Lava Lab. Um, I remember I was being like the one PM that didn't know anything about the product development process, code, or like someone asked me if I knew what a wireframe was and I thought it was literally like metal wires. Um, <laughs> so that was kind of embarrassing. But um, Web3, I kind of got into a little bit earlier. I would say not really true Web3. That was kind of when it was still just crypto. Um, but I was a junior junior in high school, um, and we really, really wanted to buy fake IDs. Mm. And Bitcoin <laughs> was the best way to go about doing it. And so I remember I was the person that had to like figure out how to actually pay for it in Bitcoin. Um, and I remember after that, I was like, wow, this is really cool. I just bought something legal and <laughs> no one could track it. Um, and then I kind of started reading a little bit more into it and realized there was obviously a lot more uh, to Bitcoin specifically. Um, really kind of liked, I guess, the mission behind Bitcoin. Um, and I thought the tech was really cool. And so kind of started going down a rabbit hole from there. And then um, senior year, that was kind of all I would do in class. It was just kind of reading or trying to learn more about it, especially with Ethereum. Um, and then, yeah, came to USC and kind of just always kept adjacent to it. Hmm. Did you apply to the specific major that you're in when you were a senior? Or did you kind of like discover that a little bit more while you were at USC? No, I kind of was always planning on doing business. I was definitely one of those kids who's like, looked at like only the top 20 schools for undergrad business. Mm -hmm. um, my logic was kind of like, I like to do like a bunch of different little things. Like I was like, oh, I really would love to have like a, a film minor or maybe something in like Ivan and Young. Um, and I was like, but I don't know what I want to do with my major. I don't really like the idea of just doing one thing. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, all right, you know what? Business kind of seems like it's basically undecided. So yeah, uh, that's true. That was sort of the next. <laughs> yeah, it's so broad. Yeah, no, definitely. And also, can you explain a little bit what Lava Lab is? Because I think it's so cool, and I've recently heard about it. Yeah, so Lava Lab is uh, USC's premier student incubator, um, but essentially each semester um, we take 28 students per cohort. You got seven product managers, seven designers, and 14 developers. Um, we pair them up on teams, and then you take them all the way from problem to solution to creating and pitching an MVP in one semester. Um, so Dang. it's definitely very fast. It's 
so much fun. Um, like you're just hanging out with people that like, I don't know, solving problems and building things. So yeah, it's really good time. that's great experience. Definitely. Yeah. Especially for someone who literally knew nothing about it. It's uh, you throw yourself in the fire and have to figure it out real quick. Yeah. Best way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so did carbon link specifically like come out of lava lab if I'm Maybe I'm yeah. No, I think technically, yeah, that that would that would be true. I think so. I originally got the idea for Carbon Link. Uh, Loki t- kind of t- allegedly took it from someone else. They always say I did, and then I'm always like, all right, you guys didn't really do much. But um, <laughs> I came back, uh, came back home. I think that was going into sophomore year, um, and I didn't have an internship. Kind of just wanted to relax, but. Um, a teacher reached out to me and she was like, hey, there's this really cool um, bio-waste startup. She was like, I think you would love to like go interview. It'd be a really good opportunity. Um, I didn't really want to, but I kind of was like, all right, I'll go see see what's up with it. Um, and went there pretty quickly. It was like, all right, this is the coolest thing of all time. Essentially, they have like, trying to, trying to think about how to describe it best. It looks like a storage unit. Um, but essentially it takes in anything that's bio waste. So that can be like ranging from, you know, plastic waste to a uh, human body to literally anything that has carbon in it. Um, hmm. They separate the carbon, burn off the rest of the organic matter and create onsite energy while capturing the carbon. Wow. Um, so they have deals <laughs> with like the Navy, right? They're going to be on all the U.S. aircraft carriers because it's mm-hmm. a waste disposable method while hmm. creating energy without actually emitting anything. Wow. Um, so I was obsessed and I was like, all right, please, like, let me work for you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But unfortunately, they didn't get funding, um, so mm-hmm. I didn't do that. But one of the ideas that they mentioned to me, kind of like right when I was leaving, um, I remember the their COO, he was like, hey, like, do you know anything about carbon offsets? And I was like, no. Like, I've heard of it, but like, no. Um, and he was like, do you know anything about blockchain? And I was like, yes. Uh, he was like, we think there, like, there might be something there. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and he left it at that? Yeah, it was pretty much, that was pretty much the basis of Interesting. it. Interesting. Um, but I was coming back in a few weeks and so I was feeling kind of like in a sweaty mood like oh I'm gonna really prepare and like know everything about this and mm-hmm. so I kind of d- dived down some rabbit holes um, and started to kind of get a rough idea for what it could look like um, but then when I got into Lava Lab that was when I ultimately reached out to them actually had people with the technical abilities to build it mm-hmm. um, convinced my team and then kind of from them on out that was where we really built it okay so can you explain in like simple terms for all those blockchain novices out there like me, what Carbon Link is and what it does. Yeah, so I think probably it's easier to start off explaining carbon offsets. Okay. Um, I think that's probably the Yeah, I don't even know what that is, so let's do that. (laughs) Yeah, so carbon offset is essentially, um, I like to think of it as a negative ton of CO2. So there's some project out there, right? Like it could be like a a forest, forest preservation. Um, so someone decided to come in, there was land that was about to be harvested for timber. Um, someone decided to buy that land. That land is only going to be valuable if they turn it into a subdivision, cut down the trees, Mm -hmm. like do something that has some kind of economic value for it. Holding the land itself is not valuable, but if they cut down those trees, if they build that subdivision, that is horrendous for the environment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so essentially the carbon offset is the incentive for them to do something that's actually good for the environment while still making some money on the side. So for every ton of CO2 per year that those trees capture that they're preserving, mm-hmm. um, they get a carbon offset. And oh, okay. Yeah. So it's kind of like money or like a currency. Yeah, it is. It is, it is a form of currency. Okay, um, okay. It's definitely this a tool for like sense. financial markets. So then you got someone like Amazon, right, who they can only do so much to like reduce their internal emissions right now. Um, mm-hmm. While they're still working to be net zero at a certain point, they want to tell you that they're net zero sooner than that. And so what they mm-hmm. do in the meantime is they purchase carbon offsets. And then for each ton that they purchase, that's a ton that they can reduce in their own emissions. Okay. I would imagine a company like Amazon has to buy a, a lot. lot. Yes, they do. They buy quite a lot. Um, yeah. I think it was Stripe and a few other companies also just committed like a billion dollars to buying um, carbon offsets, specifically Dang. like carbon capture. But 
Um, it's a big. It's definitely a definitely a big and fast growing market because you know climate change is only kind of getting worse. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, you're really on the brink of something that's like. Yeah, hopefully, might be might be too early, but um, but then on the the flip side, kind of where the blockchain comes into it, um, the card markets historically have like sucked. Um, like they were truthfully, like I remember when I started reading about it, I was like, this seems like it's stuck in the '90s. Um, essentially, if you wanted to buy a carbon offset, you would have to call a broker. Um, <laughs> that broker is probably going to tell you to go get a consultant to advise him on what it is exactly that you want. So you're already paying two different people there. Mm-hmm. That broker is then going to go to a supplier. And then they're going to say, hey, I can probably sell this, you know, for $10, right? And mm-hmm. supplier will give it to them for $10. They're going to turn around to you and they're going to say, hey, I can sell this to you for $18. Um, so they're making that really, really big cut in the middle. So obviously that's hurting the suppliers because that's eight more dollars that they could have mm-hmm. that would go right back into investing into their projects. Um, so that was one big issue there. Um, but the second one was also they make trades on paper contracts. Um, like they literally fax like pieces of paper mm. back and forth. And like That's the crazy part work. about that is, yeah, I can take one of those, I can put it on a copy machine and then I have two contracts, right? And so I can sell it to someone else. Oh. And so there became this really big issue called like double counting, but essentially mm-hmm. where people were selling the same offsets to multiple different parties. And then when everyone would go to retire their offsets, uh, they'd be like, what the heck? Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of unnecessary like due diligence that like a lot of corporations were having to do. Um, and so the benefit kind of bringing on the blockchain is at least at the very first, right? I can create, you know, this quote, unique digital asset, mm-hmm. right? Like you probably heard NFTs with JPEGs. Um, ours is pretty much the same, um, but it has all of the really core information about that carbon offset um, instead of, you know, just a cute little picture. Okay. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> That's what creates, I was thinking of. Yeah. So if you're the holder of it, right, if you're some corporation, you know, hey, if I'm buying this, I'm the only person that can own this because it is this unique, irreplicable um, mm-hmm. asset, whereas instead it was just a piece of paper that I was struggling to track. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one of the really big parts. And then, you know, price transparency, it is all recorded on public ledger. So that's all kind of nice as well. Don't have to deal with the brokers anymore. So yes, that's good. Most definitely. <laughs> um, okay. So how exactly do you buy or see a return on their investment? Yeah. So um, I think most likely if you're looking at kind of our current website, it might be a little outdated what we're currently doing. Um, Cause I will say it's been a year now and quite a, quite a bit's changed, but um if we're looking at carbon offsets from like a purely investment standpoint, I mean, I would say it is a really great investment. It's sort of just like any other asset, right? Supply and demand is going to go up. Um, like that's sort of what the value is based on. Um, so like for instance, carbon offsets specifically, they're expected to see like a 40x price increase over the next 15 years. Um, and that's primarily just because of an expectation of a lot of people needing to buy offsets, mm-hmm. um, especially if we do have like a global carbon tax or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, like something really interesting, I remember we were we were interviewing this guy. Um, he was at, he was working at Expansive, which would technically be a competitor, but um, we were going under our student emails, so he didn't know that we might have been trying to just get information. But interesting, uh, yeah. <laughs> smart. Um, but I remember he was telling us he was like, "Oh, eighty percent of our like volume is done by hedge funds," and I was like, "That's super." like weird and I was like why and he's like oh they're just buying it all up right now because they know in a couple of years like Smart. they're going to be able to sell at a significantly higher premium and I was like oh wow okay maybe there's a definitely big investment element to it um, but I would say currently right now our, our focus is mainly on the retirement side of it like actually claiming that negative emission reduction um, okay. so like corporations can come onto our platform and mm-hmm. buy those offsets and retire them um, less so on the trading but maybe we'll kind of see in the next oh I see. okay so yeah when you say it's like a B2B platform okay that makes more mm-hmm. sense okay um, so like, could I right now go in and buy carbon offsets? Um, it actually is live. So we finished uh, the platform in, what was it, like late July. Um, and we were beta testing it for about a month. And during that time, 
we kind of just we got screwed. Um, the one of the companies that we were working with, uh, they essentially came to us and they're like, "Hey, I think what you're doing is really illegal." Um, really? Yeah. And Ooh, we were like, "That's not what you want to hear." No, not at all. But essentially, they're kind of concerned that we were issuing securities or commodities. Um, and so they were like, you need to let us know because we are tokenizing something. Yeah. But our argument is we're tokenizing something that already was a commodity. So it's not mm. like we're issuing a new one. It's mm-hmm. just the form that you get it in. Um, but they wanted a legal memo that stated that. And I remember we asked around and got some price estimates and they were like, oh yeah, that's about like 150 grand. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so Easy. we're kind of like, I don't think we're going to pay that. Yeah. Uh, so we canceled that contract with them and had to find a new service provider. But the downside of that is ultimately you have to rebuild like a lot of what we were working on anyway. Um, so no, unfortunately right now you would not be able to go on our platform, and buy okay. it. Um, but in a month, most definitely. Okay, cool. You're going to have a lot of USC students coming on and buying, <laughs> buying it up. Uh, hopefully. Um, okay. So what positive environmental impacts do you see from this whole world of like buying carbon offsets? Yeah, I mean, I think we've definitely kind of already seen it in the past few years. Um, I mean, carbon offsets are pretty controversial. Um, I don't know if you've gotten to. I did not know this. Much of that. Yeah, uh, like I think John Oliver on the Tonight Show a couple of weeks ago is, you know, he did a whole uh, whole segment just blasting them. But um, essentially, a lot of the concern right now in the market is the verification and validation isn't there. So you know, you'll have projects that they never really needed the carbon offset. Um, so for instance, like let's say you already owned that ten thousand acres, right? Mm-hmm. It was your personal farm. It's not like you were ever going to cut those trees down anyway because you thought they were pretty. Oh, I see. And so there definitely has been cases where people are kind of trying to game the system. And it's like, oh, mm. hey, well, I can still make money for not doing anything. Um, and that's mm. not the case with carbon offsets. You do have to prove what they call additionality. Um, so it's that, hey, this is additional activities. Like you need the carbon offsets to make this financially like worthwhile. Okay. So just because it captures carbon, even if you are just going to do that, you know, and it was a byproduct of good business anyway, you wouldn't get it. Um, but I would say really, I think the value of, you know, carbon offsets is we need financial incentive to do things. Um, mm-hmm. Money makes kind of the world go round. Yeah. Uh, and I think with the environment, right, just telling companies, hey, you need to go do good things. Um, they're not going to ever unless there's some kind of money involved, whether so it's true. a penalty or whether it's a reward. You learn um, that in econ 101. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, the concept is called like a Peruvian tax, which I won't go into too much depth. But essentially the idea is, hey, if there are these carbon offsets that are super valuable, um, why not go try and buy some you know, piece of the Amazon rainforest that's about to get cut down because there is financial incentive for us to protect it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like our biggest goal, right, like the I guess the mission of CarbonLink is just to scale the voluntary carbon market. Um, we want to create more demand for it because we know that the more demand there is, the more likely there's going to be more project developers that want to get in to capture some of that, um, you know, financial incentive there. So that's really like the grand goal. I wish I was doing more boots on the ground stuff and working with, you know, all these great projects. And it is nice to like talk with them some, but ultimately it's just how can we make this tool really valuable so that they can, you know, make money doing something good for the environment. Mm-hmm. So what does the day to day look like for you as the CEO of this company? Uh, I think CEO is kind of a, a funny term. Just, I know, it makes it seem to, so official. I know, you just have to put it down on a piece of paper. So but like, like, what oh, does that even, yeah, tell something. us what that means. I mean, it literally, you have to have someone, whether it's like CEO or president, just so that other companies let you sign things. Um, ultimately, I would not have wanted that title, uh, simply just because I was like, okay. What title would you have wanted? Free revenue. Um, ambiguous, I don't know. I mean, because my logic is I'm not doing, like CEOs have awesome jobs. Like real CEOs, mm-hmm. all they're doing is just like meeting with people. Talking. Making decisions, yeah, like, people make, make it yeah, happen. Yeah, you just write one thing. Like, <laughs> it's like, okay, I make like two decisions a day and then you're supposed to really just network. Um, me, I would say I do probably 
anything that is needs to get done. Yeah. Um, so it could be something different every day, right? Like I could be like reviewing some of the product screens and making sure that they're all correct. Uh, writing copy, which I hate doing. Uh, what is that? Um, like if we have, you know, t- take like our website mm-hmm. and it explains why a lot of it's really poorly written. Um, it's like, okay, we want to say this here, but we need to write it in that really pretty cute, like website, you know, nine words per line. Oh, so okay. Someone come through and do like the copywriting for it. Um, I can help you with that. Say I love a doing a lot that. of meetings kind of half trying to raise really just meeting with people about that. But I would say it's really different every day, kind of a mix of meeting with people on your team and outside of the team, but it's just way too many meetings. Yeah. How did you raise funding? Yeah, so we um, we got kind of lucky. We won a couple pitch competitions in spring, um, and that brought in I think like a little over twenty five grand. So that was pretty helpful. I mean, benefit is we are still bootstrapped, we are still pre product, and most of our like people working with us are students, so mm-hmm. um, we don't need to pay anyone at least yeah. at the moment. <laughs> um, and then beyond that, uh, we won a couple grants, and then there was one time where uh, we did have to raise a little bit of like friends and family round because um, we weren't going to be able to cover a bill that was coming in a few weeks. Um, so right now, I think total raise to date is only like eighty or ninety, somewhere between eighty or ninety grand. I should probably know the exact number. Um, ideally, kind of want to do an institutional round soon. Um, I would rather not ask people that I know for their money, but yeah, I think it was largely in part, uh, you know, when you don't have the product out yet, it's really hard to actually go get real money. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, while we were planning on doing that kind of in June, uh, that got a little bit thrown off because of the the whole legal debacle there. So mm. um, we should be good until probably December or January. Hopefully, we'll have product out in November and then. I'll kind of be raising probably full time November, December, and that'll ultimately be the the make or break point. So yeah. So how do you go about pitching your idea and getting people to like invest in you if you like don't necessarily have like the product? Yeah, I would say that's an interesting. Yeah, it's dynamic. also hard just being like I don't know young. Like uh, we get hated on. It's really frustrating when I do yeah. meetings and um and it, it was valid. I think for the first like six months I. I wouldn't have, uh, I was definitely not confident pitching because I didn't entirely know what it was really going to look like. Um, and I would also say there was an element of like being young and naive. Like I remember the first ever time I was pitching uh, the strategic investor, you know, I was all like excited. I went to bed early like the night before. And I'd like <laughs> written out my notes. I literally did this like uh, thing where I would think of every question they would ask and then I would write out like, oh, it could be this. Like, yeah. you know, this could be my other answer. Um, and I thought I was just going to walk in, pitch them, and, you know, kumbaya, like, they're like, oh, we love it, like, one of us. <laughs> and I remember I walk into this boardroom, and it's just the CEO and the CFO. Um, and he sits down, and he just goes, so let me tell you about a next door impact. And I was like, uh, okay. And then he proceeds to, like, pitch for, like, 30 to 40 minutes, pretty similarly to what we were building. And the whole time, I was just like, oh, shit. They were sourcing material. Like, they they're, they're using me just to get things the entire mm-hmm. time. And I remember, like, I was trying to ban- I'd go back and forth with them, but, I mean, both of them were so experienced. It just made me feel ridiculously stupid. And I remember after that, I was like, I should probably just give up. I was like, these are, these were super experienced, you know, grown businessmen who are, knew exactly what to do, and I was just struggling there. But um, I'd say definitely gotten better better since then. Mm-hmm. I think I like to tailor to the audience. Uh, I yeah, like doing pitch you. competitions more. I get to be way more eccentric. Like, the opening of our pitch, I think, is... Uh, we're all going to die and no one gives a shit, um, <laughs> which usually captures that yeah. attention pretty quickly. You need to go like to Hook. A big he- headliner coming up. Yeah. Um, and then honestly, if it's like a VC or, you know, an angel or something more kind of, I don't know, serious, um, you really just talk to them. Like you kind of just pull up your slides and at this point, like you've said it enough. It's not like you're having to memorize anything new. And it's yeah. Like, here's what we're doing. Here's what it is. Here's why we think it's going to be good, um, which is 
awesome because like standing up in a room, I'm sure everyone knows when they do class presentations and you just got to kind of awkwardly stand there and point. Oh uh, yeah, it's not so awkward. No, no, not fun at all. <laughs> So can you tell me a little bit about why you chose like the startup path and why you chose to do it with something about sustainability? I think for startups specifically, I was just really kind of always appealed to the alleged culture. I mean, I grew up around like Nashville, so it's not like there's a big tech culture. There's definitely not mm-hmm. many startups there. Um, but I remember there's this like podcast I found when I was like in eighth grade and it's called How I Built This by Guy Raz. <gasps> my favorite podcast ever okay, yeah so you know that it's incredible and you know i would i think he was i would always like mow the lawn on sunday and you know i'd listen to one mm-hmm. episode um and i kind of remember just noticing a trend and it was essentially like one i had mad respect for all these people because mm-hmm. all of them like you know just completely just committed like and all of them were like hey no risk i was just gonna go and do it um but i remember he would always kind of ask like you know, what are the qualities of it? And he was really trying to hammer out and figure out, you know, what is the consistent qualities? Um, Emery, he always was like, oh, it's a true test of like both intelligence and like per- perseverance, persistence. Um, and I was like, all right, well, I don't really think like I'm that smart, but I do think that I'm pretty stubborn and like really, really persistent. Um, and so I kind of found it always really appealing to be like this challenge, right? Like to build something, to create something, whether mm-hmm. it's, I mean, a startup, an art piece, like, you know, a film, um, you know, creating something is absolutely exhausting. It is something that you get to put yourself like into every little corner and niche of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I found that part really exciting. And then I, I love the challenge. Everyone's like, oh, it's the hardest thing you can do. And I was like, okay, that sounds really appealing because that means I can work at it for a really long time. And you know, it's like a one big massive brain teaser. Mm-hmm. Um, but for environmentalism specifically, uh, I definitely would say I wasn't that big into like sustainability or I really, I think I wasn't aware. like kind of yeah. similar to everyone else. It's like, oh, I saw that documentary and like, yeah, I know it's gonna be bad, but hey, there's smart people working on it. Um, and it wasn't until, I think it was my, I was going into my junior year. Um, there was one day at my house where my older brother fell asleep in the shower um, and it was for about two to three hours. Um, like he was just asleep with the shower running. I don't know how, I mean, I- I, I was gonna say, was he standing up? No, 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 no. <laughs> Apparently he was laying down in the bathtub with the hot water, like hitting his chest, just okay. eyes closed. <laughs> Allegedly there was a pillow in there. I don't know. Like I, I, I can't speak to him, um, <laughs> but my mom was livid. Um, you know, obviously she was mad about the water bill, but she tried spinning, you know, like, oh, cause I was like, all right, we'll pay like the $8 surge, whatever it is, like don't mm-hmm. be mad. Um, but she was like, oh, you know, it's like awful for the environment, et cetera. Um, and so she was like gonna cut off the hot water. And I was like, oh, there's no chance. Like, I'm going to let you cut off the hot water. Mm-hmm. Like, I depend on that. And, like, I'm not letting him bring me down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're definitely a pretty uh, argumentative household, I would say. Um, and so if you can argue something and you win, like, even my parents would be like, all right, respect. And so I remember I was like, I bet you still waste more water than we do, even if we took, like, two to three hour showers. Um my logic was I'd read some article that was like, oh, buying new clothes, like is, you know, it, it you know, a lot of water usage. Yes. Um, and so I, me and my, bo- my brother both like only shop secondhand. So I was like, all right, that's an advantage like we have right there. So we did this like really, really long, really intensive water calculator. And I remember- <laughs> You were really determined to win this argument. Oh, I mean, she was cutting the hot water off. It was off. I, like, <laughs> I had to get it back on for that night. Um, and I remember I took this water calculator and I was correct. Um, so vindicated there and also to get my hot water back. But I just remember reading about how it was like 78% of my water usage was eating red meat. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, that's absurd. So obviously I kind of went down another rabbit hole there, found a great uh, documentary. If you ever listened to Watch the Vox Explained on Netflix, watch Vox Explained on the water crisis. It'll kind of make you scared, but like really well done. 22 way, minutes, yeah. very entertaining. Um, and yeah, I sort of started going down the rabbit hole and I was like, oh, wow, this is so much worse than I kind of thought it was. Um, and, you know, I was like, oh, I like the environment. I like going out and hiking. And um, I kind of just found it was frustrating. I thought it was a result of a lot of inefficiencies. Like it was things that we could just simply do better and mm-hmm. we don't. And so I think probably my annoyance and my frustration with the, uh, and then of course, like, you know, actually caring for the environment, but also not wanting to, you know, live in some like Mad Max dystopia when we're 50, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> kind of, kind of spurred it from there. So uh, kept getting a little bit more involved in it, kept going down some rabbit holes and then kind of was like, all right love startups I really like you know environmental and sustainability so um, kind of want to do something at that intersection hmm. good thing your brother slept in the shower yeah, <laughs> I would <yes>. say <laughs> yeah okay so where do you see I guess like what is the ultimate goal with carbon like for like your personal career but also just like the company in general my goal since the very I, I guess I've had two but my my first and foremost is like I just want to see a transaction yeah like, I want to see that, you know, I helped build something that genuinely did help something and mm-hmm. they used it. Um, and then my second one is that company that I originally talked to, uh, the one that their CEO and CFO just absolutely crushed me. I really want to bring their offsets on chain. Um, you know, it technically started with them. I probably pitched them 10 times. We had like three or four deals fall apart at this point. And so I'm like so committed because I'm like, all right, I started with this. Like, you know, I can't like, mm-hmm. it's not a good story until like I at least start, am able yeah. to finish on that one. <laughs> Um, uh, so those would be uh, kind of the two immediate ones, but I'll say sort of long term. Um, you know, I don't really have any. I'm sure if you asked me like you know four or five months ago, I'd have given you probably some like really bright eyed vision. But uh, I think I've learned at this point. You know, the space changes yes. so much and so fast. It's brand new. It started about a year ago, um, and you know we've had to be pretty reactionary to it. And so you know, I kind of think it changes every once in a while, but. Um, I personally would love to work a lot more on the supplier side, help them get their offsets verified and validated faster. I think that's really where you can scale a lot of, uh, you know, kind of the positive climate action um, specifically there. But really, like I said, anything that we can do to help scale the monetary card market. So if that works through our platform, that's awesome. If we have to build kind of some other use cases for it, I think that's yeah. you know, the goal there too. Hmm. I don't know why I just thought of this question, but what's like the biggest company that you've either like pitched to or talked to about Carbon Link or... Yeah. Because um, I feel like, I mean, you say like the biggest one that comes to mind is Amazon. I was like, they could benefit from this like so much. No, most definitely. And like we definitely will talk to like those like those kind of companies and their CSR teams. Definitely a lot less valuable. You're not like, you know, really meeting with decision makers. Um, so I would say I'm trying to think like talk to a CSR team at Disney. Um, trying oh, to think of a couple other big tech companies like Juniper, Palo Alto Networks. Um, but I would say like the biggest one still would probably be a Nexor. They're probably like. 200, 300 million dollar company. Um, and their main thing is, you know, we actually get to meet and like working with their C-suite and it's like, okay, we can do more than you guys just kind of come on and buy the buy the offset. So um, mm-hmm. biggest one that we got to meet with, at least from a decision-making standpoint, is would be a next word. If you are new to Perspective, we do a speed round of questions. You can get to know our guests on the podcast on a more personal level. So because Perspective is an extension of Spec Magazine, a fashion, lifestyle, culture, and wellness publication, we frame the questions regarding those topics. So to begin, Mitchell, who is your style icon? 
Oh. Doesn't uh, even have to be someone famous. Yeah, no, no, that's fair. Uh, I'd say, I'd probably have to say my older brother. I lived in a hand-me-down household until probably like, didn't probably buy my own clothes until junior year. So I'd say even now, I'd definitely like to pull some inspiration from him. He has pretty good taste. Um, and you said you only buy secondhand, right? Mm-hmm. Interesting. What are your favorite vintage stores? Ooh, I mean, there's a lot in Nashville that I really like going mm-hmm. to. Um, as far as here, like, I'll go to Rose Bowl Fleet, like, any chance I get. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, this Sunday, quite excited. Um, but haven't really gone around to too many of them here. Uh, I, I do like kind of the clothes in the vintage stores in Nashville a little bit more. It's yeah. that older, kind of more Western, mm-hmm. like, wear. Or, uh, like, here, it's not so much the same style, but... It's all so, like, overpicked. Or picked over. Yes, completely. Yeah. Um, or kind of just not really my style, like a little bit more streetwear. Yeah. Kind of like I'd be switching, not, not really it. But um, if I could, though, like really pull it off, which I know I could never, but I have a lot of respect for Harry Styles. Me too. Like he kills it. Um, Someone had to say it. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think I could rock a cardigan like he does, but uh, it wouldn't be, it, it would be nice if I could. <laughs> I love his, all of his outfits. Like my favorite thing on TikTok is just like seeing what he wore at past concerts. Yeah. No, it's... he can dress. Him and ASAP Rocky, I think, have some of the best styles. Mm-hmm. Honestly. Very admirable. Um, what is your favorite movie? Ooh. Um, that's tricky. I would say... I definitely a range I have like a whole list on my phone it's just movies that I really like because it makes it so easy to send to friends when they're like ooh give me recommendations mm-hmm. just watch these um, but I would say really love her uh, Interstellar come on come on um, and it's like City of God those are kind of the ones that are immediately coming to mind mm-hmm. um, what is your favorite weekend activity ooh dang that's a really great one um well, while I'm at USC, I do love night games. So if there's a night game and you're able to tailgate all day, I do love doing that. <laughs> but uh, other than that, uh, I would say, if, especially if I was back home, probably probably going for a hike or, yeah, I'd say probably a hike. Don't get to hike too much out here. Not You don't go green. hiking that much? No, not a lot. It's like, you know, everyone was like, oh, you can do anything from LA. And I'm like, yeah, if you drive like an hour and 45 but it's, there's some good hikes, like, around. Yeah, you got, like, Malibu Creek or, you know, things that are a couple miles. But yeah, I definitely prefer, like, you know, no, no people and things yeah. that are green. Yeah. Um, like, even here, it's like, oh, this used to be green, like, 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's very true. It's all, like, brown. Yeah. It's kind of <laughs> you get up there. Yeah. <laughs> um, what mental health practices do you implement in your daily life? Mm. I would definitely say I've probably lost most of them in the past year. Um, I used to be a lot better about like consistently journaling and yoga. Morning yoga goes incredible. Uh, yoga with Adrian, favorite person. Um, but I'd say now, like when I, if I'm definitely getting like overwhelmed or I'm just like, all right, I need, you know, a break, uh, reading. Um, I've been burning through this one author recently. And so his books have been, uh, you can, good mental escape. Which author? Uh, Frederick Bachman. He's okay. a Swedish writer. And I think one of his books is actually getting turned into a movie with Tom Hanks this year. It's a, the original is a man called Ove. I don't know what they renamed it, but hmm. I need to get into more reading. That's he's an one easy area person I lack. to get into reading. Like his books okay. are just ridiculously entertaining, amazing storyteller. But then occasionally, like you're like, whoa, hmm. deep, very profound. Um, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Meetings. <laughs> I intentionally set meetings at like eight and eight thirty. Uh, pretty consistently throughout the week um smart otherwise like i'll wake up at seven and be like i'd rather not today yeah um but if you have someone that you have to go talk to uh then that'll definitely scare me out of bed so um that's probably what i do good tactic honestly i kind of do the same i'll like set a workout class like super Mm -hmm. early and i'm like well i don't want to get charged the no show fee so i'm going um what is your guilty pleasure or do you have one (sighs) 
Uh, I mean, I would definitely say I probably, <laughs> I probably have a few, but um, trying to think of what would be the most most fair. I mean, I'm I'm pretty basic. I would say just a bowl and a really good Netflix TV show <laughs> and like cozying up in bed, probably the uh, the safest there. Um, but that would, yeah, that would, that'd probably be my my most basic go-to guilty pleasure. <laughs> like we've come to the end of the episode make sure to follow spec mag usc on instagram to get updates about new episodes but more importantly make sure to follow at carbonlink.io on instagram and twitter and check out their website www.carbonlink.io for even more information on mitchell's company uh, mitchell thank you for taking the time to sit down with me and explain how you built this company and what exactly it does i think it's super interesting and i can't wait to see where this takes you and how this company is going to be implemented into the world eventually so yeah thank you (laughs) thank you we'll see um hopefully hopefully something soon yeah thank you for having me on all right well i'm your host chloe kopsky thanks for listening to season two episode two of perspective talk to you on our next episode in which i sit down with yet another talented usc student